Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Family Renewal Podcast. I am Israel Wayne, and I'm blessed that this week we have a special guest who is going to talk to us about the issue of Bible study and family devotions, uh, family worship time. We have my longtime friend, Steve Demi, who I have known, I think, since the mid-1990s. You may know of Steve Demi from his math videos and math curriculum. That's how I think most people have uh, categorized him. I know Steve uh, as much more um, diverse than just that. Um, I I do love when we get to speak at conferences together, though, as we we walk up and down the aisles, seeing students whose jaws drop open and they're in awe of the fact that their math teacher just walked past and they're pointing to their, you know, pulling on their mom's sleeve and pointing and saying, mom, <laughs> mom, that's Mr. Demi. That's Mr. Demi. So in, in that space, uh, in the homeschool conference world, he's a bit of a, a rock star as it relates to uh, the Matthew C curriculum and the, the supplementary material that goes along with that. But there's a whole side of Steve that people don't know and that they don't see. And I'm going to dive into that um, in this podcast and introduce you to that side of Steve Demi. So, Steve, welcome to the Family Renewal Podcast. Lovely to be here, Israel. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about you is that you have a deep richness to your understanding of Scripture and a, a deep history um, in your walk with the Lord. And we could probably, you know, do a, a month worth of interviews, just unpacking some of that, but you are a seminary graduate. You have been a pastor. You've served in lots of different ministry capacities. And so there's a side of you that people don't even know that, uh, has shaped, you know, who you are, but then you're also a father and, uh, you are, a, a man who has spent a lot of time, uh, just experiencing in your walk with the Lord a lot of different dimensions and ministry opportunities. And then as a conference speaker, you're meeting families and sharing with them uh, and, and encouraging them. And you have a whole uh, side of what you do now that is that is kind of, I think a lot of people don't know. It's, it's Building Faith Families, and your website is buildingfaithfamilies.org. And it's a family discipleship ministry which dovetails really nicely with uh, this podcast because Family Renewal is my ministry. It's what my wife and and my sister and I do, uh, my family, uh, Family Renewal. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage families in the scripture. So uh, as far as how how to jump into this, I guess the question that I would have for you is, uh, what, what was it that God laid on your heart when you started to explore this new division, this new aspect of your ministry called Building Faith Families. What what was it that really motivated you to dive into to that direction after having been known as a math guy? <laughs> wow. Okay. So here we go. I'll, I'll give you the, try to give you the, the briefer version. I graduated from seminary on a Saturday. My wife and I got married on Sunday. 
because my grandmother couldn't make two round trips from Pittsburgh to New England. Our first assignment was working at a small church in Georgia as the assistant to the pastor and youth leader. And uh, while we were there, God blessed us with four sons, Isaac, Ethan, Joseph, and John. We weren't there, though, for about two, three years before I heard of something called home education. And we went to our first homeschool conference in the 80s. We think it was the second one in, in the country. It was 84 in Atlanta, Georgia. And we were committed. At the time, we only had two, and we had one in the womb. But we went to that conference and listened to the Moors, and it was we were we were we were sold. So home education has been a part of our journey from the beginning. And then when you have children, of course, all of a sudden you think, wow, we've got these children. We we have to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And people ask me, what were your top priorities, homeschooling? And I said, I want to see my children around the lamb. I want to look to the left and the right and see my sons worshiping the lamb. But as you and I know, we, we can't choose God for our children. Each of our children has to make their own choices. So uh, my wife and I determined we were going to have family devotion. We were going to get together and read God's word as a family. Now, she grew up in a Christian home, so that is something that she'd observed for generations. But I didn't. I was the first person to come to Christ in my family. I was a teenager, went to a Young Life ranch in Colorado and heard the gospel. So this was, this was new to me. I hadn't seen it modeled, number one. Number two, I have lots of big ideas, but my wife is the real steady one with the follow-through. And uh, so we determined to start, and when we... We started, the, the kids would sit on our laps and we would read from these nice, colorful Bible devotion type things. But the golden years, in my mind, is when they were able to read for themselves. And so we got together with some, I found translations that were large print, and I wanted us to all have the same translation. And we would go around the room and we would read the Bible, chapter at a time. We would do two, three verses each person. We would read it. We would talk about it. We would sing a hymn if we had time, et cetera. So that's the family worship site. But I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. Small church. And so I got a job teaching math in the public high school while I was still in the ministry. And it was a great way to meet the community, et cetera. But when our fourth son was born with Down syndrome, we had a very difficult year. He had multiple surgeries, open heart, intestinal, almost died of a virus, which he just got again a month ago and was in the hospital for eight days. Hmm. But he gained a pound the whole first year. My wife and I burned out. We had different symptoms and we had to do something different. So we moved back to New England and I started tutoring kids in math. But the kids that I was tutoring I really didn't like any other really formal curricula, so I started writing my own worksheets for the kids week by week. And at the end of a year, uh, I had 100 worksheets. And we were very involved in homeschool community, and they heard that I had worksheets, and so they wanted to buy them. And that is the beginning of Matthew C. But we were really, uh, you might say, focused on family discipleship primarily from the beginning. It's just that God led us into this math world. Even since the late 80s, when I started speaking at conferences, I would be speaking on math and family worship. In fact, the first non-math book I wrote was the one that you referenced. It was um, family worship. 
And it was pretty much just a transcript of a talk that I'd been giving for many years. And I just fleshed it out and I continue to tweak it and add to it. So I was, I was doing both pretty much since the inception. Matthew C. really took off around 94. By 2011, all of the kids had graduated from college, were married, and independently had asked to work for Matthew C., which surprised me. I thought they would all find their own niche in some other field. So we decided to have this family-owned business. And so here's your question. You said, when did you start doing the deep dive into building faith families? <laughs> Without going into a lot of detail, that's that's fodder for another podcast if you're interested. But 2012 was the hardest and best year of my life because I realized I was having difficulty sharing the business with my kids. And we were pursuing having a family-owned business, not just a one-man benevolent dictatorship. So we <laughs> that was really difficult to let go of this business. And I went through deep waters. My wife and I were separated. I was an emotional basket case. I had issues that had come to the surface through this, and they really weren't business-related. The business just was the trigger. And I found out that I had issues and it was impacting my family. And I had to go therapy. I, I, I reached out to brothers for help. Um, it was also the best year of my life because I'm in a whole different place with God now than I've ever been before. I know now that God likes me. He doesn't just love me because he has to love me because I'm part of the world. But he knows me. He knows my stuff and he enjoys me. For who I am, he formed me in his image, the whole package. That, that was transformational. But a good friend told me one time, he said, you know what? People that found a ministry or found a business or, you know, the church plant, they really have difficulty letting go of it. In fact, there's a thing called the founder's trap disease. I don't know if you're aware of that. And it's legit. And he said, the only way you're going to be able to let go of this is to pursue something else. And my heart has always been primarily God and family. The math thing, it's nice. And God gave me a gifting for it. And his blessing has been on it. But that's not what makes me get up in the morning. What, <laughs> it, it's not what, what I'm lying in bed at night is I used to be thinking of how can I encourage dads? How can I help families? Um, how can I draw closer to God myself? Because now I'm realizing, which I didn't know for 30 years, my relationship with God is the most important thing because it impacts all my relationships with my wife and kids. So building faith families has been on the books for a long time, but now it is my primary focus since 2012. And this is what I do. So I've written about a half a dozen books and I also have podcasts. I just recorded podcast 349 yesterday morning. I do one a week, Tuesday mornings. I have to have you on. See, we'll go back and Let's forth. There. So this is what I do. And this is what I think about. And, and I've been up since early this morning and I go through my devotions. I go through my prayer, uh, my prayer, uh, disciplines and different things. And I just started, I'm in Genesis. Uh, this morning was 10 through 12. I read about Abraham. I'm in Matthew chapter four. Jesus was just tempted. I was in the Greek and I learned that the word Satan can also be translated adversary. So I, I do digging 
like I've never done before in the original languages. Um, I even made a little YouTube thing on how to use Bible Hub because I am so hooked on Bible Hub. I'm in the Hebrew, I'm in the Greek, and even though I've had these as courses, you don't really even need to know that much to be able to use these resources. It's huge. So how's that for an overview? I appreciate that. It really helps to kind of see the trajectory. And God uses all of those experiences to bring us uh, through the path. And and there's different seasons. And I I really am grateful for the season that you're in right now, because the lessons that you've learned are going to make eternal impact in the lives of many families. So I have a question for you. Um, It seems like from our work collectively within the homeschooling movement, homeschooling has always, for better or worse, been a mom-driven movement. And it seems like when you go to homeschool conventions, there are some men who are there, most of which look like they were dragged there reluctantly and that they would rather be anywhere else in the world except there on that Saturday, especially if it's nice weather outside. Uh, But they come and they hear messages and it can be life transforming for them. But I noticed that what happens is it seems like a lot of these women are very dialed in spiritually, like they're looking for resources to help them grow spiritually. They read books, they go to conferences, they listen to podcasts. Uh, A lot of times for the men, their focus is on career. It's on making a living, paying the bills. And uh, even if they attend church, it's like it seems like a lot of the men in our country kind of lag behind spiritually. And when we talk about a a topic like family worship, it's very easy for a mom to get excited about that and to think, boy, I would love to do that, to have our family gather around the word of God, uh, maybe sing some songs, pray together, you know, whatever that looks like. I I don't know how to encourage my husband to do that without nagging or without, you know, putting him in an awkward position that he doesn't feel comfortable with. And then you know, when they do present the idea to men, oftentimes the men feel super uncomfortable with that concept because they didn't have it modeled. Their fathers never led them in family worship. So they don't know what it looks like. They've heard of it, but they don't know how to do it. So I guess I'd like you to speak to two two dynamics, if we can remember both of them. Uh, maybe first, let's talk to the men uh, about how this is something that they can get involved with. Uh, even though they haven't done it before and they haven't had it modeled. And then maybe we'll cycle back around to speaking to the moms on what do you do when your husband isn't there yet or isn't interested or doesn't want to do it. So I'd like to to give some direct uh, direct talk to the dads who may be listening to this podcast, but then also cycle back to the mom who's going, man, I'd love that, but I just don't see that working out in our situation. Can you start with the dads and maybe we'll move to the moms? Okay. Israel, you're good at asking questions, but you ask these questions that I need two hours to adequately (laughs) answer each one. So I'm I'm working really hard to uh, be convincing here. (laughs) Okay. So the first thing is, in my own experience, and because I'm the expert on me, I have the same genes that want to make an impact, that you know, want to be significant, search for purpose, etc. And, and this is what like you've adequately described. This is what men do. And when men meet each other, even in Jonah, you watch when you read Jonah this year, they say to him, where are you from? What do you do? 
this is what men do when they meet each other. Where are you from? What do you do? Because we define ourselves by our stuff, our hobbies, our occupation, our cars, whatever. And I really believe that sovereignly we need God to turn our hearts towards our children. I think Malachi 4 is primary. But what I've added to that now, and I'm going to just diverge just a little bit, the verse that shaped my view of home education and family life for 30 years is Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach your children diligently when you sit in your house, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way. Boom. The first part was you shall teach your children diligently. I took that to mean family worship. And to do it the rest of the time meant I had to homeschool. I didn't know how to fulfill Deuteronomy 6-7 without homeschooling and family worship. Those were my two pillars. And then it was in 2011, I was speaking at Alaska, and this mom asked me, she says, all you guys come up here. So I think you're grouped in that. All you guys come to these conferences and you tell us Deuteronomy 6-7. How come you leave out the two previous verses? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to read them. And I got my Bible out, and here's what it said. And it's really addressed to parents. And before you get to 6-7, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. So I need to love God and his word first. So the first thing I tell people now, pray that God will turn your heart towards him and then help you to love him and his word and then turn your heart towards your family because you are just going to be a capitalist <laughs> and you're going to be doing the best you can, but you're going to miss the boat until you first love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then your heart is turned towards your family because even a man that will say, okay, I can do family worship. If your heart's not in it, your kids know it. Yeah. Kids are discerning, perceptive. They see stuff. That's true. But if, if your heart is in it, if you love God, you can pull this off. So the first thing to do is ask God to turn your heart towards him, love him with everything in you. And you know that he'll answer both of these prayers because first John five, my favorite prayer verse, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and we have the request we've asked. All right. So that's the first thing. Number two, men don't like to do anything unless they're good at it. Mm. And this is what you addressed. And so mm. I think a lot of men, they don't want to make a fool of themselves, especially in front of their wife and their kids. Oh, so, so what I tell them is, uh, and that's why I wrote the book, not only do I have what we did in our family, the first two thirds of the book, the last part of the book is a whole series of emails that I've received from men, what they do in their home. One guy meets with his family on the trampoline. One family has a special needs daughter. They meet with her upstairs on her bed at night. One family reads their Bible around the table while they're having a meal. There's all kinds of different ways. The Bible doesn't say when to do it or how often to do it. It just says do it. So we each need to work out our own what's unique for our, our family. Number one. Number two, I am going to be working with a friend that you connected us, Ben Myers from Actors Bible. March the 4th, he and I are having a one-day training session in Philly, how to have family devotions. All-day event. We're not just going to talk. We're going to break up into groups and practice what we're hearing so that we get hands-on training how to do family devotions. Israel, I'm going to plant the seed. Why don't you and I do one? 
And I, I'm more and more, I'm getting tired of talking to audiences and getting 5% of people making changes in their life. I'm, I do a communications workshop now. I talk for a third. We break up into small groups and we practice it. And then we get back and debrief. So hands-on training, I think, is really good and really helpful. But in our home, all I did was whistle and gather the troops. Then I prayed and turned the meeting over to God, who's a really good teacher. And then we read the word of God together as a family out loud. We prayed and wrapping it up. If we had time, we sang a hymn. If we had time, we had testimonies. What, what did you learn today? What did you hear? But bottom line, it's 10 minutes. And I didn't consult commentaries. I didn't go into the Bible hub. I didn't do any preparation. I had my own devotions. But I'm telling you, God met us. And he said he would meet us, two or three, which is easy for homeschoolers because we've got eight or nine. So anyway, so here's the thing. Number one for me as a dad was it's my, I felt it was my responsibility to be the initiator, to take the lead. But I also did it in harmony with my wife, because as you said, they're the ones doing the lion's share of the homeschooling. So you just can't all of a sudden arbitrarily pick a time. You got to say, which time do you think, honey, would be the best? And then the second thing you start figuring out is what works for our kids. Um, you know, one dad discerned that his family was a bunch of drama queens and kings. And so the mom and dad would read the chapter and the kids would take notes and then they would go out and make a skit and come back and act it out. But they were much more engaged that way. Another family I met are high church, you know, Anglican Episcopal. They have a 40 minute service with liturgy and intercessory prayer and different things. And each of the kids each week, they pick which part they're going to do. Now the parents take turns doing the teaching, but it's the kids that are contributing to the worship experience. And I looked at him and I said, that's a long time. Do your kids really like it? He said, they love it. So find your own flavor. And I hope that frees up men, that there's not one way or the highway. The second thing is, I'm the same way as you. When, when I see men at a conference, I'm encouraged, especially on a Friday or on a Sunday day, and I really want them to read my book, which is also available as an audiobook. It's free. Two hours. You know, that's like six commutes to work. Steve, let me cut and, in here because I was gonna I was gonna bring this up. I don't want to derail us, but you offer your family worship ebook for free. Right. And you have it available as an audio book download for free. Yeah. Can you just speak to why? That's not a very good capitalistic business model. Well, I'll pay people to read it if you want me to go further, because this is what we did in a conference. I got this idea one time because I didn't have time to talk on this workshop in enough detail. So I said, you know what? I've got this book here. I will give you this book if you will read it within 30 days of this conference. And I'm going to follow up with you. It was in Arizona, by the way. So 30 days later. All these men took the book. I had their email addresses. I sent them an email, not computer generated, my email. I sent it to them and I said, did you read the book? Number one. Number two, what was your takeaways if you have time? Number three, have you had a chance to apply it? That's all I ask. And you know what? The responses from those emails is what I put in the back 20 or 25% of my book because men are deep. Men are not meat-eating, sports-watching gluttons. These men sent me thoughtful, 
insightful because God is operating in the hearts of his people. And I think he is turning the hearts of fathers back to their children. And I think home education is a fruit of that work. Uh, you and I know home education has got very little to do with academics. It's, it's a move of God to restore families to what he originally designed for them. One man, one woman, committed, be fruitful, multiply, buy a minivan, fill the earth. This, this, this is what home education is about. And so I, I made that challenge to men. I did that for about 10 years, I think. I just, I would give away the books. And oh, but then I said, if you don't read it in 30 days, you owe me 50 bucks. Because what I discovered is men need a deadline. They yeah. need some skin in the game. And I'm appealing to their testosterone. And I don't care how much our culture tries to take it out of us. It's still there. So, <laughs> so that's what we did. And by wow. the way, I'm eating fine. It's okay. And sometimes people send me checks back anyway. One guy, though, was upset. And he threatened to send me back $50 worth of pennies. And I got, I got his letter back addressed to Stupid Bible Challenge. But <laughs> that was the only one that I know. And, but, but you know what? Um, you can't just give people stuff because they won't read it. Mm -hmm. And you have to have some skin in the game. And that's why I, I traditionally sell it for like half price at conferences, five bucks by the book. Um, unlike yourself, I have a stream of income from that. You see, everybody else buy Israel's book so they get some money and send us some checks once in a while. There you go. That's from me. Because <laughs> I, I know it's hard to make a living just being a speaker. Okay, next next point. Wives. What do wives do? The first thing my wife did was she encouraged me. I don't think that there was a time when we had family worship that she didn't say thank you. I'm starting to cry. That's uh, she probably could have done a better job, but she thanked me for taking the initiative. And it wow. means the world to families to have dad step up to the plate, because if you're going to carve out 10 minutes of your day or 15 or whatever, your, 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 your life is speaking more than your words are speaking. You, you're making this a priority. And if your kids see you reading the scripture and hear you teaching the scripture, then they're going to follow suit. And, and there's been so many studies on the impact of a father-led family versus a non-father-led family. And you've read them and I've read them. And yeah, so dad stepped up to the plate. But the second thing my wife did was, ah, now I'm going I'm to do a little tangent here. There, there's a family in Florida and I heard the backstory to this and it's hysterical. So this guy went to one of my workshops and he got this in his head that he was going to have family devotions. So he had daughters, young girls. He told his wife, I'm going to go upstairs and read the Bible to the girls before they go to bed. So the girls are all in their bedroom. He's sitting there with the Bible open and he starts reading Song of Solomon. And his wife is out in the hallway and she doesn't know what to do. And she said, are you kidding? Song of Solomon? You're reading it to these little girls? And so she went to my good friend in Florida's wife and, he, and she said, what should I do? <laughs> And she said, let him go. He's doing it. Give him space. And so he proceeded to do that. But I even forget the rest of the story. I have it written somewhere. That wife wrote me the most wonderful letter. Her husband not only 
transformed their home, but he was transformed himself. And by reading the word of God together as a family, he got involved in ministry in the church. Then their family got involved in singing worship, whatever. And, and she attributes it to him taking the lead and putting himself into the word of God. But kudos to her for backing him up, even when he's reading the Song of Solomon. So, (laughs) and the second thing is, I would say to the to the wife that doesn't know what to do, I would I have a a part of a book part of my book addresses this because it's the hardest question I get at conferences. I want this for my family. My husband doesn't. Blah blah blah. I say, well, number one, I know you've been praying, but pray for your husband. And when it comes to a certain point, you need to sit down with them. And just take a one-on-one and say, honey, God has put this on my heart. I really believe that we should be reading the word of God to our children. I think this is our responsibility as parents. What do you think? And then talk about it. And if he says, you know, I really don't feel qualified, but I really, I I love your heart and I want to support you in it. And if you want to do it, uh, you've got my backing. At least you've you're not trying to nag, you're, just, you're airing it out. And, and I have had people tell me they've tried that. And pretty soon the husband started sitting in and pretty soon the husband's a part of the process and they're doing it together. And yeah, Amen. but there's, but nagging, everybody in the world knows nagging doesn't work, but we, we just keep doing it anyway. So, all right. So, how's so that? Let's for look at a worst case scenario. Let's say that you have a husband who is an unbeliever or your single parent mom, like my mother was, where it all falls on you, or you just have a husband who who just says, I'm not, I'm not interested and simply won't do it. Should a mom lead the family devotions herself at that point? Or what do you recommend? Yeah, I think that you have no other choice. And surprisingly, when I went through the scripture the first time, when I was in seminary, I did a Bible study on education. I just looked up every word in the Bible that had something to do with education. And when I wrote the paper, I said, and this was 70s, I said, parents are supposed to be the primary educators of their kids. That's radical. Back then, it was, for a, sure. it, was, it was a couple of years later than I heard about homeschooling, but I was already prepared. But when I redid that study, I don't know, a couple of years ago, it really is more parents there's only a couple verses that talk about fathers taking the lead, but I think it's a joint responsibility. And if one won't step up to the plate, I think you can step in. But I would still at least clear the air and say, honey, this is what's on my heart. Uh, what do you think? Just leave it open-ended and hear what he has to say. But if you've done that, then you're not doing something behind his back. You're not doing something in defiance. Everything, yeah, better communication. So I love how you talked about there's not one right way. There's not one template that you have to follow. There's a lot of different families who do family worship in different ways, and that's okay. I love that, and and I agree with that completely. Um, there's another resource that uh, I just learned that you had produced very recently, and this is a hymns project, <clears throat> and uh, this is this is hymns for family worship, and there's also an accompany, accompanying CD project uh, of audio CDs that go along with this four CDs in this in this pack. I'll just for those who are watching the YouTube channel, I'll pop that open so you can see inside. And what you do in the hymn book here is you actually take uh, a different hymn, which could be a, a new one each day, and you give a story that tells the history behind the hymn. Uh, helps us to understand 
the background and, and what motivated this. Um, and then you have the ability for families to learn these hymns. Talk to me about that project. What was it that motivated you to um, develop this this hymn project? Because I, I know a lot of even adults don't know hymns today. It's a foreign concept to them. So tell me about that project. I don't know if you, I'm going to name drop here. I went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and partway through my first year, I found out that Elizabeth Elliot was in that neck of the woods. Her second husband, who had just died from cancer, Addison Leach, was on the faculty of Gordon-Conwell. Watch is why she was there. And she would even teach one small class a year in January intercession. And in the providence of God, it's a great story. I need to write it out sometime. But in the providence of God, I ended up becoming one of her boarders. So I lived at her home for a year and gave her income. And the men, there was two men, two of us there, and we would do chores. And whenever I see certain kind of carpets, I know how I'm supposed to vacuum it because she was very particular. Anyway, so, but she was a wonderful lady and we hit it off. But she, has been through the fire. And for those of you that don't know the name, Elizabeth Elliott, her first husband died in 1956 from a spear of a Waldani Indian. Her second husband died of cancer. I knew the background. I had already read a couple of the books before I even moved in. And she said one time, Steve, it was phrases from hymns that the Holy Spirit would quicken to me that would encourage me during my darkest hours. And there's I don't did you read the introduction to this? Because there's a quote from her in here. Let me just find it real fast. Because this was this is what shaped me. And she said, hymns will get you through the night. In January of 56, when five women were waiting with bated breath to find out whether our husbands were dead or alive, I lay in bed in Nate Saint's home, my little daughter Valerie, sick in a crib beside me. The hymn, How Firm a Foundation, with those magnificent words taken from Isaiah 43, sustained me. And she goes on to describe that. So I had that in my mind. And I asked her, what did you do in your home? So in their home, they used to get up in the morning. And in January 1st, they would start and they would read a chapter of scripture as a family. Then they would sing hymn number one in a hymn book. And they would work through a hymn book in a year. And both her mom and dad, I think, played the piano. And so I thought this would be great. So we tried it in our family. But my wife and I, who grew up in different, you might say, denominational backgrounds, we knew a lot of hymns from different perspectives, but neither of us played the piano. So I used to pay people to play the piano on cassette. And then my kids would jump up and push the button was usually Ethan, by the way. And then we would sing the hymn with piano accompaniment. So that's where the idea started. So my first hymn book had 28 hymns. The next one had 66 hymns. This one's got 100. I'm working on 25 more right now. <laughs> I keep expanding it. But hymns are a central part to worship. They just are. You know, it talks about let the high praises of God be in their, in their hand and a double-edged sword in their hand. So Music and, and worship, I mean, music and the word go together. And they have through, through, through history. Dwight L. Moody and his song leader, uh, Billy Graham had George Beverly Shea, et cetera. So, but there's something about hymns that are timeless. These hymns have been around for hundreds of years. 
And I'm sure there's one or two good songs that have come out each year in our modern culture, but give them 50 years and then see which ones have filtered down and we're still singing. And But there's so much depth to a hymn as opposed to, I don't want to diss modern music, but they just don't have the same depth. So I personally sing hymns daily and I continue to memorize hymns when I go on my prayer walk so I can sing a hymn because it says in Psalm 100, come into his presence with singing. And the other thing that convicted us is our own children uh, used to accompany us on lots of trips. So the whole family would get in our van and we'd go for a trip. We'd be in the car for several hours. And one time I said, let's sing all the songs we know. Well, by the time we sang only a boy named David, the wise man built his house upon the rock, a first verse of amazing grace or something. We're about done. And we're at the end of the driveway. So I thought, you know, if we're ever in prison with Paul and Silas, we're going to be in trouble. So we memorized as a family, nine hymns all four verses. And we would do funny stuff. You know, the boys are visual learners. I would give them paper. We'd draw pictures. And these um, these hymns, well, one of them was Dare to Be a Daniel. You know that one? Sure. Standing by a purpose firm, heeding God's command. How do you illustrate purpose firm? I'm pretty creative in my thinking. I could not, I, I almost prayed. And then all of a sudden I got it. And I drew a picture of a dead porpoise, a porpoise <laughs> firm. And of course, my son's just cracked up. And yes, a dead fish. And my wife rolled her eyes, which made it better. But then we uh, we we would do like a hymn a day, drawing pictures. And we went through a season where we memorized hymns. But so that's the background. And the other side of it is most of us know the history of it as well with my soul. But almost every hymn has a similar history. And the more you dig into these hymns, the more you find out how rich these people's lives were. Fanny Crosby. Charles Wesley, Isaac Watts, probably three of my top favorites. Absolutely. And Fanny Crosby, she said, I'm glad I'm blind because when I get to heaven, the first face I'm going to see is Jesus. Really? You're wow. And so, yeah. How's that for an answer? You know, it's interesting when I posted about hymns on social media, those posts are always some of the most controversial ones that I post. And I get a ton of pushback from people who get really upset and kind of offended if I'm advocating the value of hymns. And that's been surprising to me that there's oftentimes a, a very visceral sort of response, negative response towards hymns. And it would be worth probably doing an entire episode at some point on, on an apologetic for hymns. Um, and I, I think some people think that we're arbitrarily saying anything old is better than anything new, which is not what we're saying. Um, but there, there are so many points that can be made. I, I'll just jump in real quickly with one. Um, I, I know I'm interviewing you, but I just, I just have to share this. My grandmother was a singer. And when my grandparents got saved in their early 40s, they stopped doing country music, which is what they had done professionally before that. And they would only sing gospel music. Uh, and so when, when they got saved, they got like fully saved, you know, and so they recorded albums together and wrote their own gospel songs. I think it was like four albums and eight tracks that they recorded. But my grandmother uh, and grandfather both grew to love the hymns. And I had been raised in, in a lot of different types of church traditions with contemporary music and hymns and so forth. 
But my grandmother got dementia. And in the later years of her life, she just passed away a few years ago. I, I went to see her and she couldn't have conversations with people, didn't recognize even a lot of family members. I was grateful she always recognized me. But in the last time that I saw her before she died, uh, I sat down beside her bed and I picked up a guitar and I started singing hymns. And she started singing along with me, word for word. Wow. And we had this beautiful shared experience where we both tapped into something that was older than both of us, that was transcendent. And I couldn't have sung a Chris Tomlin or a Matt Redman or a Getty song and had that experience with her. And, I, and I'm not dissing those. I appreciate many of their songs. So, you know, this is not a slam on their music. She doesn't know those songs. But she knew those old hymns and it connected us intergenerationally. And I think we impoverish ourselves when we cut off from the rich tradition and history of 2000 years of the church and generations that have gone beyond us. There's value in tapping into things that are that are older than us. And like you said, the good stuff lasts. There probably have been many hymns that were, were fit only for the trash bin and they ended up there. But the ones that endured, the ones that lasted, that we we have uh, today, that are popular and, and still being sung, endured because not because they were old, but because they were good. So, thank yeah. you for this yeah. hymn project, and and I just want to encourage everybody uh, once again on this. Um, you can get this at the uh, buildingfaithfamilies.org website. Uh, so make sure that you get the family worship book as well as the family worship hymn book and CD. I can see you're wanting to jump in here, so I'll turn you loose. The hymns are also free. So it's a PDF on my website. And when I, I can show you, if I have my laptop, I keep my hymn book open as a PDF. I use my PDF more than I use my hard copy. And I, I just put one more thing in here for men. I'm part of a men's group at our church, just men. We meet together on Thursday nights and I've encouraged them and they, and they like it. But I print out one of those copies at a time and I take it to the men. So we start each of our men with singing something. I'm going to call it upbeat, military and masculine. So we sing rise up, oh man of God, things like that. And they like it. And we're on our second or third hymn and they miss it when I'm not there because I guess no one else wants to lead it. But I have put for my list of workshop topics i haven't seen if they picked it yet this year at the ghc conferences hymns i'm gonna do a whole workshop on hymns good for you and we're gonna pass them out and we're gonna sing together as a congregation we're gonna because i want to show them that this is what you can do as a family and it blessed my socks off when i would hear my kids humming that hymn the rest of the day in their homeschooling you set the yeah. tone in the home. If you start in the morning, sing a hymn and you keep going. And so this morning I was singing Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. And so that's kind of still in the back of my head now the rest of the day. It's nice. I remember Billy Graham's song leader, George Beverly Shea, said when he was growing up in Canada, I think, that his mother would wake him, the children up every morning singing the hymn, Singing I Go Along Life's Road, Praising the Lord, Praising the Lord. And he said he just had that ingrained in him. Uh, from childhood, just that was his first experience every single morning was his mom singing praises to the Lord. Can you imagine how that would set the tone for a family's yeah. day? Uh, there's just there's so much richness that 
we can tap into even just reading these stories and knowing uh, the lives of the people who wrote them. I, I, I have often said that we we impoverish ourselves by not knowing the history of the church, and we impoverish ourselves by not studying the international church. Totally different issues. I know you have a heart for both. So um, I, I want you to share too, you mentioned you have a resource on your website that helps families if they want to read through the Bible in a year. That's something I've been encouraging families to do. Um, you know, beginning of the year is a good time, but you can jump in at any time during the year. Um, I started studying the scriptures all the way through, um, you're reading through the Bible all the way in a year, probably around when I got married. So it's been, you know, close to 20, I guess I'm coming up on 24 years, but so, somewhere in that vicinity, 24, 25 years that I've been doing that. Uh, I know that's been a, a daily practice uh, for you as well, but you have some um, downloads that you make available on your website for families that will help them to have a plan if they've never done that before. Tell us about that. In 1976, I was attending a small church. I actually learned of the church through Elizabeth Elliott. The pastor mm -hmm. was very instrumental in helping her husband when he was in the hospital. So I started attending the church, and I noticed that the, the congregation was very biblically literate to the point where, as a seminarian, I felt I needed, I needed to step up my game. And I found this little Bible reading chart in the back of the church, and I took it home, and I started September 20th, 1976. It was the book of Joel. I have it written in my Bible, big letters, begun. And God helped me to continue through the years. I'm on 47 times through the Bible, just started again. And I'm in Genesis right now, and I'm in Matthew. But wow. first 12 years, I just read Genesis to Revelation following their chart. Mm -hmm. But then I started having kids, started thinking about family. So I put together another chart of just the New Testament and the Psalms. Mm -hmm. So if children want to read the Bible through, they could read one chapter a day, starting in Matthew and interspersed with the Psalms, they could read through them all. And then I made another chart for the whole Old Testament from January to December, which is about three chapters a day. It averages to about 89 verses a day, if you're interested in doing the math. So, <laughs> so what happens is, if let's say that you've got a nine or 10 year old that wants to read the Bible, and mom and dad want to do the whole Bible, so both parent and child could read through the New Testament and the Psalms, but the parents could also then do the Old Testament. And that way, families can move through scripture together, and you know what each other's reading. Now, some people don't like any kind of chart, but if I don't have a chart, I'm not going to finish. I just know myself. If I just am led, <laughs> sorry to make a slam there, but I'm going to miss a couple of days, and I'm never going to pick them up. But right now, if I'm not up to speed on my chart, I, I double up on the weekends. I take the weekends and I catch up because I, I want to read through the whole Bible. And the reason I do it is because Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And he's quoting, by the way, Deuteronomy chapter 8, which has become one of my favorite books. You know, there's a golden couple weeks in April when I'm reading Deuteronomy and John at the same time. And that's that, that is a favorite because those are two of my favorite books. So, but I read through the scripture. I read through Leviticus every year. 
uh, I like to ask people, where does it say in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself? And everybody, of course, quotes somewhere in the New Testament. I said, no, it's in the middle of Leviticus. There are gems in the Old Testament that you're not going to find unless you read it. And you're not going to understand the New Testament fully till you read the Old Testament. So anyway, those Bible pages you can print out on my website. It's just Bible resources. If you can't find them, email me and I'll send them to you. Yeah, I just want to share for those who are uh, looking at possible upcoming events at your church or conferences, and you're thinking about who to invite as a speaker. Um, Steve is a deep well, spiritually. He's the kind of guy who has had a lot of years of experience walking with the Lord, a lot of diversity in terms of ministry. And so when Steve talks, he's not just talking off the top of his head. He is speaking from a, a life of his walk with the Lord, and it's evident. You know, people don't know this about Steve, but Steve has a powerful prayer life. And my family has been the grateful recipients of Steve's prayers for us. And I just appreciate his heart. You know, the Christian publishing industry, um, hate to even use that word, but it's what it is. Um, that that world can sometimes be very competitive and sometimes petty. A lot of people are building their own little kingdoms. And I've just been blessed with Steve's honesty and his integrity over the years and and care. You know, I, you don't even remember this. I wouldn't think, Steve, but I remember one time getting an email from you where I think I, I had posted my speaking schedule online and you had seen it. And you shot me a, a little email and just said, how are you doing, brother? because it was kind of intense you know it was one of those years where it's like you know we're we're i'm speaking you know i don't know 50 60 times in a year and and just all over the map and uh and i really appreciated that you know just like how's your family how's your marriage and you know just that that willingness for you to take a little risk and, and ask how we were doing and make sure things are you know, things are well with with my soul. And uh, I'm grateful for that. You know, I think those kind of relationships are super rare within Christian leadership circles. And uh, so I, I appreciate you, brother. And I just want to commend Steve's ministry to anyone who is considering having somebody come in that, that really just can help disciple people in a powerful and effective way, because it's real, it's legit, and it's, it's deep and substantive. And so that's why I wanted you on this podcast. And I'm hopeful that everybody who listens to my podcast knows who you are already. But I know that people get in their little pockets and circles, and you may be a uh, an unknown quotient for them. And so for whatever it's worth, in as much as you may trust my judgment, uh, I just encourage people to reach out to Steve, get his materials for sure for your family, but also um, if, if your church is looking for guest speakers or you have a conference or an event, a, a men's event or any anything like that, Steve is just a really um, valuable resource and you're going to get so much benefit out of having him come and speak. So uh, again, buildingfaithfamilies.org and um, anything you want to say just as a kind of final uh, encouragement, kind of wrapping up here uh, for the listeners as they're they're thinking about some of the things we've talked about. Um, I just wrote an article yesterday for a magazine. It's the first one in a series on families. And uh, for 30 years, I, I struggled to believe that God really loved me. 
and it, and it really came to the fore in 2012. And as I said, it wasn't the business. It was God arranged everything. The verse that changed my life was John 15, 9. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, as my, this is Steve International verse, as my dad loves me, that's how I love you. And when you think about that picture, I have no question that the father loves the son. And he mm. said, that's the same way I love you. And I've, I've deepened my understanding of that passage by going to his baptism. When the father sees his son come out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then this booming voice, I assume it was booming. But he says, again, Steve International Version. This is my kid. I love him to pieces. And every time I see him, he brings me great joy. I light up every time I see my boy. And, you know, we all know this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. So I have to flesh it out a little bit. But think about God the Father now looking at you going, this is my kid. This is Israel. I love him to pieces. And every time I see him, he makes me light up. And press into that until you get that. Ask God to help you to get that because it's been transformative. That's really the good news. Because of Christ's death, his resurrection, his clothing us in his righteousness, the Father has adopted us. He looks at us and he loves us that way. And knowing that, I'm starting to cry. Mm -hmm. I, I now enjoy spending time with God. Yeah. I used to do it because I should. And now I do it because I want to. And it's been very transformative. That's the number one thing that I would do differently if I was a young parent. Invest in my own relationship with God because it's going to overflow to my wife and my kids. That is so important. And, you know, people sometimes look at spiritual disciplines like a chore list or a list of obligations. Like I have to do this so that I'm, I remain in God's good standing. Exactly. You're so right. You're so right. If you really see it as, that you understand that you are loved by the father simply because he loves you. Yeah. Uh, it changes the dynamic. And, and then the response of course, is like what Paul says there in Romans 12, one, where he says in, in light of God's mercy or in view of, of just how kind God has been to us, how can we not then just give everything that we are, you know, our bodies is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our reasonable act of worship. So, so it just becomes something that you desire. It becomes something that you want to do when you truly understand the depth of God's grace and his love and mercy towards us. And so it's Amen. a total game changer. So yeah, what we don't want to do is be, you know, have people listen to this and, and say like, okay, well now I've got 90% more guilt than I did before I started listening. You know, now I realize like, okay, I got more duties <laughs> that I have to do to perform for God. That's the one thing we don't want here, right? So can I close us in prayer? Are you, are you wrapping up now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First, I have to give the gospel to homeschool parents. This is the verse to put on your refrigerator. There is therefore now no condemnation to homeschoolers in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, Steve International Version. Now let's pray. Father, I, I do pray that the words that we've said today and talked out, and it comes from our experience. It comes from your work in our life. And we thank you for what you've done for us. But we pray that this, this, there would be a sweet river of encouragement that would be going out to families today, that it won't be something more to do or something else to do, but this will be 
something that you'll show them how to incorporate in their life, how to read the word of God themselves, how to encourage their children in family devotions. I pray for men that you'll turn our hearts towards you in a new way today and turn our hearts towards our families. Bless us all, deliver us from condemnation and help us to see that sweet smile on your face in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, brother. I love you. I appreciate you for the work of the Lord in and through you. Uh, again, I encourage everyone to uh, to visit Steve Demi's uh, website, buildingfaithfamilies.org and uh, plug into his resources. We'll uh, look Amen. forward to the next time we get to get to meet. Yeah, let's, do, let's, do, let's do part two. All right. Let's do it. God bless you. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit FamilyRenewal.org.